You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading this morning is Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it is good to be with you all this morning. We are continuing in our series through the Psalms of Ascent. It's the songs that God's people would sing as they journeyed toward Jerusalem, as they came up to Jerusalem, as they ascended to Jerusalem to gather to worship. These uh, 15 Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, are the Pilgrim's Playlist. Now, as we saw last week, this journey begins in Psalm 120, where we meet this person who is caught in distress. They feel stuck in life. They are far from home. Uh, They feel isolated from God and God's people, and they're beginning to realize that, quite simply, they are outsiders in this world. They just don't fit in. But Psalm 121 is a significant shift in this journey. Now the believer is on the move. How? Well, through repentance and faith, they have made a clean break from the world and are now journeying toward God. Like Christian in the famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress, they have departed from the city of destruction and now are journeying toward the celestial city, the city of God. Now, One of the common myths uh, about the journey of faith is that when we set out towards God, or as the New Testament would describe it, as we follow Jesus, who is the way, the myth is that this journey of faith will be one of ease, of comfort, of happiness, and convenience. I put my faith in Jesus, I follow him, now life is going to be good, life is going to be easy, life is going to go the way that I desire. And so when, and not if, but when something difficult happens, like you get sick, or you lose your job, or the economy tanks, or even you lose a loved one, well, that must mean that something has gone wrong between you and God. Maybe that's a sign that you've gone the wrong way, you've you've turned the wrong direction on the path, or even worse, you look back and you realize God's abandoned you miles ago, you've just been journeying alone. The scripture is constantly challenging this myth. The scriptures, let's be more specific, God loves you enough to confront you until you know you've got it wrong and to correct these myths. In fact, in the New Testament, the apostle Peter would tell us this, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Don't think that this is, you're somehow the anomaly, like, oh my gosh, what is going wrong? No, expect this trial. Expect adversity. Now, as the people of God would journey toward Jerusalem, the road 
was often treacherous. And that's what's being highlighted in this psalm. There were the natural elements, right? There were the narrow, uh, sometimes slippery, rocky roads where you could trip and fall and sprain an ankle or break your leg or fall off a cliff or something like that. Uh, There was constantly the, the threat of exposure to the sun. Just think about the sun beating down on the people journeying day after day draining them of moisture in their bodies, draining them of physical energy. There was also danger of bandits, uh, these these thieves that would camp out at certain turns in the journey, and when people least expected it, they would overcome these travelers and rob them of their goods. And then also there was the emotional strain of the journey, and that's what's being alluded to here. The psalmist mentions the threat of the moon. Now, this is, a, this is probably not, uh, doesn't mean a whole lot to us today, like the threat of the moon. I've never walked outside and been threatened by the moon. But in, in historically, in, in, in the ancient world, and there are even some of the remnants of this today, the moon was seen as impacting someone's emotional instability. It's why the word lunar and lunatic derive from the same word. And so the Bible's alluding to the, the emotional strain of the journey as well. And so the Psalms of Ascend, as we step back and we look at these series of Psalms, these, these songs are for those who have ever experienced the practical or relational or emotional toll of the journey of faith and are now feeling sort of turned around in their life. And what they do is that they give us our bearings so that we don't get lost. They give us our bearings so that we don't, you know, give up or turn the wrong direction. And what they do is they give us an honest lay of the land. Here's what you are to expect as you journey forward in this journey of faith. And so what we're going to do is we look at this next psalm, Psalm 121. We're going to look at it under three headings. We're going to look at our heritage, our hills, and our help. Our heritage, our hills, and our help. Let's look first at our heritage. Now, my wife and I, Michelle, have passed down certain traits to our children. Eye color, nose shapes, lanky limbs, uh, sad eyes, uh, height, uh, particularly from my wife. Um, But also, there are intangible things that we've passed down, certain personality traits and behaviors that not only my biological children, but my adopted children have also begun to take on. And one of the clearest things that I have passed down to our children is singing. It is a part of the culture of our home. We sing around the piano. We sing when we're in the car. We sing when we're walking around the house. We sing serious songs. We sing absurd songs. We sing sometimes uh, mildly inappropriate songs. Some of us sing on key. Some of us don't. It, it's like in my children, and now they can't help it. It's what, mean, what it means to be us. It's a part of the culture of our home. One of the most important things that we have inherited from the men and women of faith that have gone before us. Our Christian lineage, our Christian heritage is singing. Singing. For the believer, it's a part of who you are. And just a quick glance at the book of Revelation, we see that it is definitely a part of who we are becoming. We are God's people that sing and in all of life's circumstances. When things are 
hard, we sing. When things are good, we sing because God is worthy and God has made us a singing people. And as we sing, we express God's character. As we sing, we express our deepest emotions. As we sing, we retell the story of our struggle. As we sing, we celebrate the prevail that God brings in our life. Singing is the way that we retell the story of God. We retell the story of our lives and we reinforce our identity as God's people. It is central to who we are. That is why you are missing out if you are just now tuning in for the sermon. That's why you're missing out if you are just carving out certain portions of worship thinking that this is more important than this. We are a people that sing. Look at the heading above verse 21 there. It says, a song of ascents. A song of ascents. What is helpful to remember when we study the Psalms is that this is not a piece of dry, dead, ancient literature to simply dissect and examine. These are songs that were sung. These were songs that were put to rhythm. These were songs that people danced to and sang and moved to as they journeyed. And so the, the main thing that we should take away from this series is not more information for our heads. The main thing that we should take away from this series is holy words to fill our voices, to fill our songs. Pastorally, what I desire for you is not knowing more. What I desire for you, church, is singing more. Because this is who God has made you. And this is what God is bringing about in our lives. Now, in preparation for this series, I began to do a little study on some of the rich history of black spirituals. Black spirituals are probably the closest thing there is to the Psalms of Ascent. Black spirituals were rooted in American history in a time of slavery and oppression. And history tells us that the believing, faithful slave community would take biblical stories that paralleled their lives like Joseph and Daniel and characters like these and then created these songs that retold the narrative of God's people and the narrative of their lives. And these songs would become these imagination-stirring reminders of God's character, his faithfulness, his promise, his his promises, his justice, his power. These songs would become reminders that they as God's people were literally sharing in Christ's sufferings. They would become these reminders of the eternal freedom that was promised to these slaves. And they even became these subversive messages that, that told men and women how to navigate their own personal escape from slavery like a roadmap to freedom in the Underground Railroad. A roadmap to freedom. And so as two Christian professors wrote, singers moved and they clapped and they experienced joy and fulfillment in a pattern of movement that transported them away from the bonds of slavery and into the freedom of salvation in Jesus Christ. Now we've talked about this and I actually quoted this a few weeks ago. An early church African theologian named, named Tertullian once famously said, the legs don't feel the chains when the heart is in heaven. The body doesn't feel the bondage when the soul is in heaven. And that's what songs of faith foster for God's people. They have this transporting ability to take the singer to another place. Now, I've got to be honest. While 
in a big, big way, black spirituals are not a part of my lineage. I hope that that was very obvious to you. In fact, uh, I'm Portuguese. Portuguese is part of my lineage, which was on the opposite side of the spectrum, on the oppressive side of history. But in another way, and, and this is what we need to grasp through faith in Jesus Christ and, and now adoption into the family of God, this heritage of singing in a strange land is mine and it's yours as well. Singing is what sustained Hebrew, the Hebrew people as they journeyed to their true home. Singing is what sustained the slaves as they journeyed to their true home. And singing is what sustains the Christian life, those who have been set free from the slavery and bondage of sin on the journey as well through all of life's ups and downs. In fact, just to illustrate this, a couple weeks ago, a woman in our church uh, underwent a very physically and emotionally painful procedure. And she expressed her thankfulness and gratitude for one of the women in our church, one of the leaders in our church, sending her a playlist for that moment, a playlist of songs. And what she said was this. She said that these songs made the procedure bearable and helped her experience the presence of God in the room. This, my friend, is our heritage Tap into it. Tap into it. Second thing that we see here is our hills. Our hills, what does that mean? Look with me in verse one. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? What the psalmist expresses here is that on the journey of faith, there will be moments where we need help. We face trouble. We experience confusion. We're tempted. We feel alone. We get burnt out. We get deeply disappointed by all the plans that fall apart in like years like 2020. And so we begin, what we all do as human beings is we begin to scan the horizon of our lives looking for the help that we need. Really, the question here isn't, do I need help? We're past that, man. This psalm assumes we do need help. The question is not, do I need help? The question here is, where does my help come from? When you reach out for help, and we all do, the question is, who are you looking to? What are you grasping for in your desperate moment of need? Now, historically, the hills or the mountains in the ancient Near East were a way of describing the spiritual divine realm. It was a metaphor for the divine realm. And in many of the religions of this time, and maybe even today, the belief was that the gods dwelled in the hills. Up in the, up in the hilltops where the clouds were, that's where the divine dwelled. And so as you read through the Old Testament, you'll come across, often you'll come across these mentions of the high places, the places of pagan worship that happened on the hilltops where there were sacrifices made to the gods. And on top of these hills, you would find temples and altars and priests and temple prostitutes. And, and this was the place that many would come from near and far when they found themselves in trouble. And so say you were a farmer and you had a hard farming year. What you would do is you would travel to the, hills, the hilltop. 
and you would, you would sacrifice to the God over agriculture and cross your fingers for a better harvest next year. Or maybe you were a family that was struggling with infertility, and what you would do is you'd go to the hilltop, and you would pay to sleep with a male or female temple prostitute who represented, you know, physically manifested the, the gods of fertility and so on. And so this was the place that people would turn to when they needed help. This is what people did. And even, sadly, for some of God's people, the Israelites, his chosen, set-apart people, the high places became a place of, of compromise and convenience, where they would begin to rationalize in their mind, okay, I'm going to go to the high places. I know I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. I know God has commanded me against the high places, but here's my rationale. I'm going to go to the high places, but when I'm there, I'm going to worship our God. I'm going to worship the God of Israel. Well, I mean, the hills are like right here. I'm going to go to the hills instead of Jerusalem. Why go all the way to Jerusalem when, when this is far more practical? This is far more like readily available. It's so accessible. It's so near. It's so practical. It's right there. I can grab it. And God was constantly calling his people to tear down the high places. Don't mess with that stuff. Don't flirt with that. Tear it down. Abandon it. Avoid it at all costs. In fact, through the prophet Jeremiah, the people of God were told this, surely falsehood comes from the hills, commotion from the mountains, but salvation of Israel is only in the Lord our God. The hills are a delusion. The hills are the place where you are gonna go, get deceived, and find yourself even more disappointed than when you started. Avoid it at all costs. Now today, looking to the hills can mean a number of things for us. Say you're experiencing stress. And rather than immediately turning to God who is our peace, you turn to entertainment, substance, spending, eating, drinking. Or say you're feeling alone and and isolated, and instead of immediately turning to God who is present, you turn to something so that you can feel something, some, someone so that you can feel someone. You turn to sex or lust or some ungodly relationship or the next hookup app. Or you're feeling confused, and instead of immediately turning to God who is our guidance and our wisdom, you turn to self-help or the internet or some other, you know, claim of source of wisdom and information and so on. So I think the point of the psalm is to cause us to ask ourselves, what are my hills? What are your hills? What are our hills? And maybe more specifically, here's the question, what are my idols? What are your idols? What are the things that I am looking to, especially in a moment of conflict and pressure, what are the things that I'm looking to for rescue? Where am I shortcutting the journey of faith for the quick fix? Where am I unwilling to struggle on the long, tedious, painful journey of faith, and I'm turning aside for the, the quick help, the immediate help, the help that feels so tangible and real and right there? As the pilgrims of faith would journey three times a year to the city of God, they would pass by the hills. They knew them. They knew exactly where they were. And as they, as they passed 
through, as they went down this path and this journey, they would look up and they would see these different opportunities to, to turn aside these different hilltops to go and to worship, and they would remind themselves. They would speak truth to themselves and to one another through song and proclaim with their voices, that is not my help, that is not my help, that is not my help, and there are no shortcuts to the rescue and relief that God provides. Which leads us to our final point, our help. Where does my help Where does your help come from? Verse two, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. Who made heaven and earth. Now there's a word that repeats in this psalm five times to help us understand what it means that God is our help. Look with me in verse five. It says, the Lord is your help. Keeper, What does it mean that God is our help? It means, verse 7, he will keep your life. He will guard your life. He will sustain your life through the painful journey of faith. We are hidden in the hand of God. Now, I remember years ago when reality used to meet in the old Empire Theater. And... If you know, if you were with us during that time or you know the old Empire Theater, the building was falling apart. Literally, things were falling off the ceiling. Walls were like caving in. Not to mention there was the constant threat of rodents. Sometimes we would come into the office and discover squatters. Like you never knew what you were going to discover at the church offices at that time. And so, simply put, it wasn't the, it, it was the kind of place that you didn't want to be found in the dark. It was the kind of place that you didn't want to be there like after hours. And in order to leave the old office area, you had, there was like one light switch at the very back of the building. And so you would have to hit the light switch off and walk or run, not for me, but for other people I heard of, and run through the building to get out to the light because there were no windows. It didn't matter what time of day, it was just pitch black in there. And so one day I'm there, I have to grab something really quickly out of the office and I've got my youngest daughter, who was about four at the time. And, you know, I'm preparing this moment. I'm preparing to hit off the lights. I prepare by holding her hand. Little did she know she was holding my hand just as much as I was holding her hand. And we're about, you know, we're walking through. We're about out of the darkest portion. I can see the light coming in. And I hear the, a giant noise behind us. It could have been a person. It could have been a rodent. It could have been something falling off the ceiling. It could have been something demonic. I was not gonna find out, and we just kind of kept walking. And I remember just my whole body like tensing up. I, I had this like freak out moment, and I looked down at my four-year-old daughter expecting her to just be losing her mind. And she's just, she didn't skip a beat. She's walking as if nothing has happened. And I remember thinking at this moment, why did she not freak out? And I looked down at her hands. She was confident in her keeper. She was confident in the one that was holding her. And the safety of being in my hand at that moment was far more tangible and far more real than the potential dangers around her. And that's the beautiful picture that we see here in in, in Psalm 121. 
that the keeper of the earth, the moon, the sun, and the stars is the keeper of you and me, the same hands that flung the stars into the universe and now keeps them suspended in motion are the same capable hands that hold me, are the same capable, faithful, strong hands that are holding you, that are sustaining you, that are keeping you. Now, what this doesn't mean is that life in his hands will be a life filled with ease, where we'll never face danger, where we'll, where we'll never face pain, where we'll never experience harm. No, the old hymn goes that through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. The path is treacherous. The Lord is my keeper means then that no amount of pain, no amount of distress, no amount of injury, no amount of illness, no amount of loss, no amount of danger will ever be able to overcome me. Evil is going to come my way. But the Lord is my keeper means that evil will never have its way in my life. No matter what dangers I face, God is going to see me through to the end of the journey. God is going to complete the work that he began in me. And I, too, will step into the gates of the city of God. I may have some scars. I may see some things. But God is going to make sure that I make it through. And God is going to make sure that you keep on moving and that you see it through as well. So here's a question. How can we know? That's a great promise. That's a great picture here, but how do we know? How do we know that God will be our, he, uh, our, our helper and our keeper in seasons of struggle and, and, and pain, like right now where it feels like for many of us, our lives are being overcome, like our lives are ruined, like we've gotten off track and the journey has just become this just big, confusing mess. We don't even know where we're going anymore. How can I know that God is my help and he will remain my help? Well, all you have to do is lift up your eyes. What I'm challenging you, what I'm calling, urging you to do is to lift up your eyes, but not to the hills, but to just one single hill called Calvary where the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died for us. See him there, his hands and, and feet nailed to the tree. See him there, struck by the sun and struck by the moon. See him there, struck by the religious leaders and struck by the soldiers and struck by death and struck by God. He's crying out for help, but no one is coming to his rescue. He cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And no one swoops in to save. See him there taking upon himself our evil and our ruin and our devastation and our abandonment so that through faith in the death and the powerful resurrection of Jesus, we might receive his healing. We might receive his acceptance. We might receive his life forevermore. The gospel is the good news that Jesus experienced the depths of our hell so that we could forever experience the depths of God's help. And here's the question that we have to settle today. If God went to such lengths to rescue us then, why would he abandon us now? Why would he just simply leave us to our own devices in 2020? He's in too deep 
to leave us now. And so with this confidence, and with this assurance that the gospel give us, gives us, we are now able to join with the apostle Paul in Romans 8 and proclaim these words, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor light, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing will get between us and God's loving hand. Nothing will separate us from God's loving help. And so today, here's how I want to conclude. Psalm 121 is not just a song. It's a liturgical song. It's a question and answer, a call and response. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. And what I want to do is I want to recite another call and response from Christian history. It's from something called the Heidelberg Catechism, a call and response where questions are asked and then faithful answers are given. And this is what we're told in question 26 and 28. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? What do you mean when you say that? Here's my answer. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ the Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt that he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this sad world. Listen to these words. God is able to do this because he is almighty God. And he desires to do this because he's a faithful father. Well, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence then help us? We can be patient when things go against us. Thankful when things go well. And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and father that nothing in creation will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in God's hands that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.